On this episode of The Greatest Podcast, I have the privilege to interview Michael Talley. Mike is a devoted follower of Christ, a husband, a father, an Air Force vet with three tours in Iraq, one in Afghanistan, and one in South Korea. He is also a church planner and pastor in Thornton, Colorado at Church 8025. We talk about basketball, the outdoors, family, parenting, and why many churches in America are just failing to attract men and impact men and produce real leaders who actually change the world. And we talk about much more. Man, I just came away with so many incredible nuggets of truth and encouragement from this brother, and I know you will too. I also feel like I came away with a broken freaking nose as he convicted and challenged me about what I'm not doing with my own neighbors. I'm going to come back at the end of this interview to wrap it all up. So stay tuned for that. And here we go. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Grizz Podcast, where our mission is to help boys become men and to help men become better men. It's going to be raw. It's going to be real. And it's going to be relevant. Now, here's your host, Jason George. I'm your huckleberry. Yo, Mike Talley, welcome to the Grizz Podcast, my brother. What's up, man? Good to be here. Yep. Where are you at, man? You're out in Colorado. Where at? I'm sitting in an office in Thornton, Colorado. It's a suburb of Denver. Um, we're about 12 miles from downtown Denver, just on the north side. Okay, cool. How far are you from what really matters, like the national park, wildlife, mountains? Right. Actually, I was just up in the mountains this week with my family camping. We were supposed to spend three days, but we uh, had 40 to 50 mile an hour sustained winds. We got oh a two-year-old in a tent with that. It's not a fun camping trip, but we're we're an hour and a half from Rocky Mountain National Park, hour and a half from skiing, camping, so we're not far at all. That's awesome, man. I got to go up in Rocky Mountain National Park with a mutual friend, one of the guys that's on staff with you, Joe Calm, and got to see elk. We saw two moose, saw plenty of uh, sheep and goats, uh, didn't see any bear, but I think you guys only have black bear, you know, grizzly, right? Yeah, it's pretty much just black bear. You got to get, there are some grizzlies in the state, but you got to get pretty remote. You don't really, I think more people get killed every year from an elk taking pictures of them, you know, getting close. Yeah. Try to pet them. <laughs> then, then they come in contact with a grizzly. That's funny, man. Well, right off the bat, man, um, why don't you tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do or like to do for, just fun, excitement, adventure as a guy. Um, I always like to hear that right off the bat. Yeah, I want to hear background, education, and what you do. Sure. But what do you like to do for fun, man? What what really turns your crank? Well, man, I grew up from in Kentucky, and I'm a, so I'm a big basketball junkie. But I don't I don't play quite as much anymore. Uh, but man, I love watching some Kentucky basketball. Trying to get in the gym and ball a little bit. But I'm a big outdoors guy. I like to go camping. Uh, I do some hunting. Hunting out here is so much more different than in the South. You got to 
you got to have the right tags for the right zone for the right day for the right. It's just, it's crazy. And so with four little kids, I haven't gotten into it as much, um, but I've gone elk hunting a few times. So I, I like hunting, like camping, went fly fishing for the very first time two weeks ago, man, it was, it was addicting. Love that. So anything outdoors, which is a good fit for here. Uh, and then I'm a big reader. You know, if I'm at home, uh, I try to read 40, 50 books a year all different kinds of categories and stuff so that's primarily if i'm not doing something with my kids that's what i'm doing for fun that's cool man did you uh play basketball high school i did yeah i played in kentucky in high school and then i walked on at union university in jackson tennessee and played for a couple of years there um so basketball is just always i can i can get lost in the gym just shooting a ball by myself for hours upon hours you know it's just a therapy for me to be in a gym just shooting some ball no that's great man i really enjoy watching march madness i don't watch nba at all i agree so yeah and they, they try you know like into the playoffs you're like oh man you do know how to play defense they start trying you know but in college it feels like it means something to the kids and so i i, I like watching college ball way better although my wildcats broke my heart this year going out in the first round Mm. I had a chance for the championship, but oh well. <laughs> That's cool, man. So married, right? Kids. Tell us yeah. about that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, my wife is from California. I met her in uh in Tennessee. And uh we had a speech speech class together and uh really you know started dating a couple years after that actually and then uh, got married. And we uh, struggled for a while to have kids, uh, but once God opened the door, he left it open. And so we have a nine-year, uh, 10-year-old Quincy. She just turned 10, our daughter, seven-year-old son, Ace, uh, six-year-old daughter, Bowen, and we'll be two in a couple of weeks, Lennon, who was our, our COVID baby and also an unplanned oh, wow. child, but she's a blessing. Yeah, that happened to my wife and I. Um we had two kids and using protection and I come home one day and my wife is like, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, what? And she was actually kind of upset because pregnancy is really hard on her. Like we've been in the ER so many times and she wasn't upset that we were having a baby. She was like, here we go. Nine months of in and out of the ER. And, uh, but man, we can't imagine our life without her. And so it's, it's crazy, man. that's the same way with our, our little one, Lennon. Uh, you know, it, this is the honest truth of why we have her. I was leaving to come church plant and I couldn't get into the doctor to get fixed, you know, for that problem to be taken care of before we left Georgia while I had insurance. I just, they were just backed up. And so I left my job, my church in Georgia, lost insurance, got out here, called, self pay was like three grand. I don't have three grand. I'm living on 100% support, you know, so we didn't do it. And then I'm in the shower uh, getting ready on a Saturday night to go preach. I'm leaving in like 10 minutes. <laughs> My wife walks in the bathroom with the little, you know, the little stick. Oh, boy. She's like, Michael, we're pregnant. And I was like, there's no possible way. And she just sits down. The same thing. She, she has real difficult pregnancies. Uh, it was not in that moment a moment of joy, but man, Lennon's just a, she's she's spoiled she's spoiled for sure we love her that's great man 
Really uh, important questions here. Uh, favorite rock band? Do you have one? Bands? I didn't grow so I grew up in a pretty conservative home. I know we'll talk about that later. So uh, I remember <laughs> you're gonna laugh at this. I remember somebody gave me a uh, a uh, Rain uh, Alan Jackson CD. Oh yeah. My mom, <laughs> my mom. I was I don't know how old I was. I was probably eighth or ninth grade. My mom had a real long, serious talk with me about garden what goes into your mind and your ears. And oh, stuff, wow. You know? so, yeah, that? yeah, Alan Jackson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he... I didn't listen a ton, but but I, this is super old school. But I, I love Aerosmith. Uh, yeah, like, that, that works, man. I'm that just, counts. Yeah, I've always cranked that on my deployments, uh, you know, getting ready to play ball and stuff. So Aerosmith is, a good, is my go-to. That's cool. Actually, yesterday, uh, I heard it on a movie recently, so I just, like, threw it on riding down the road in the truck was uh, that song they got, uh, Back in the Saddle Again. Yeah. Kind of like a pump-you-up song for the gym. How about favorite movies, man? What stands out to you? Yeah, no, that's a different story. I love movies. Uh, I can't confirm or deny if I've seen them in theaters or the cleaned-up version on TBS, so... uh, (laughs) But I I do love movies, but Braveheart and Tombstone mm. are my two two tops. But I would also throw this one in, and it's not necessarily a movie, but the best ever is Band of Brothers, which is you know it's ten oh, yeah. ten episodes kind of movie. But man, if Band of Brothers is on, and I'm flipping through the days over, I, I just get sucked into Band of Brothers. Man, it's, it's my favorite. Yeah, that was so well done and a good cast. Um... I remember after that had come out, my wife got me one Christmas, the whole DVD series, and it came in a really oh, yeah. cool tin case and everything. I've got it, man. I've yeah. got it. Yeah, dude. That, that's awesome. All right. So tell me about Mike Talley's life before you become a genuine believer in Christ. Um, tell us about home, godly influences, that kind of thing. Um, you gave us a little bit growing up conservative. Uh, sounds like mom was pretty strict on some things. Tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, man, my um, my life before Christ is as a you know having trusting Him as my Savior is pretty simple. I got saved when I was six, uh, pretty young age. So we grew up in a church, and I and I'm it was a conservative. You know, women can't wear pants. You know, we go to camp and they they. Had they couldn't wear shorts, but they could wear these things called culottes, you know, which were just super. Oh, long I know shorts. culottes, dude. <laughs> you know, they hang down to your ankle. I was, and even as a kid, I was like, oh, those are still shorts, they're just longer <laughs> shorts, you know. <laughs> but grew up, so grew up in that. I remember being at some summer camps, and you know, it's 100 degrees, and I'm in blue jeans because we couldn't wear shorts either, you know, just like wow, even the guys, yeah, yeah, super conservative. Um, and so. We were in that till, uh, and so I got saved about six. My mom and dad uh, were both godly mom and dad. Uh, my da- my mom was probably a spiritual leader in my home. My dad was quieter. I mean, you know, he would talk and that type of stuff, but he was he was a quieter man. Worked for uh, Bell South phone company for his whole life. So just a hard worker outside, um, and so yeah, I got saved at six, and then stayed in the church and then in eighth grade kind of moved out of that super strict 
uh, conservative church, joined a Southern Baptist church and the pastor there. Um, Where was this at? What state? Oh yeah, this is in Kentucky, Madisonville. That's right. In Western Kentucky, small town. Um, and so the pastor of that church, Jeff Hendricks, man, I just remember he was so formative to me, uh, in my 10th grade year, you know, like happens a lot at camps and stuff. I felt God calling me to ministry and I shared that with him. And I, I remember being in 10th grade, 11th grade, and especially during the summers, he would take me to lunches and meetings he had with deacons and elders and businessmen and stuff. But honestly, meetings I had no business being at as a 10th, you know, 10th grade or 11th grader. I just sit at the table and eat my chips and salsa and be quiet and listen to them. And he just modeled for me ministry, uh, a relationship with Christ. You know, you hear a lot of guys say, hey, my first sermon was, you know, five minutes long. And, you know, that, that was all I had. But my first sermon, church was about 400 people, 400 people. My first sermon was 30 minutes long, but he worked with me on it for eight months before I preached it. I was preaching it into an empty auditorium with him sitting there taking notes and giving me feedback. And and he didn't have to do that. Um, And I I don't know many pastors who would do that with a 10th grader, you know, but it just, it was real formative to my relationship with Christ. And so that coupled with my love for basketball and my stubbornness, I just never had the, I never had the wild side. I'm, I'm very logical, so if something doesn't make sense, I'm very black and white. Uh, and the more you try to get me to do something, the less you're going to try, uh, the less chance I'm going to do it. So I didn't want to get in trouble and, and miss basketball. Most of the partying and stuff just didn't make sense to me. I had fun, you know, without partying in that way. And so, um, so pretty calm, you know middle school, high school, uh, experience for me. That's pretty cool, man. It made me think of something that, uh, I think it was a week ago. I was on the phone with a mutual friend, Josh Ray down in Mm -hmm. Georgia. He's a church planner, pastor as well. And he said something. And when he first said this, it threw me off. And then I was like, Oh, I see what you mean. And I totally agree with you. Uh, he said that, uh, discipleship, is not the church's job. Discipleship is, I'm probably butchering how he said it, but it's not the church's job. It's really the people in the church, their job. And what he meant by that is like, sometimes we look at church to, here's the discipleship program, here's the class, here's the video series to sign up for. And yet we're not seeing true life on life impact. But what that pastor did with you is like, come here, Mike. And he started just, you know, building into you, taking you under his wing, that kind of thing. And Josh and I were having this conversation about how more men need to do that. Find one or two guys that you're just really going to build into them. It, we weren't saying that there can't be a Bible study at the church. There can't be, you know, some kind of uh, small group, that kind of thing. But the whole life on life impact is where the real discipleship comes like the mentoring. And, um, what are your thoughts on that, man? Yeah, man. I, well, one, I love Josh Ray. He's spot on. Uh, I, I just think in general, 
I'm I'm a little bit passionate about this actually. Uh, you know, I, I thought COVID was a real embarrassment to the Christian church in America. We we lost our minds. We didn't know what to do. Hey, we can't all get together under this roof. So discipleship's not going to happen. Uh, your spiritual growth's not going to happen. You know, and and we were. Yeah, I know we'll talk about this in a minute. We we were getting ready to plant in that year, and I just kept saying, "I mean, how do how do we plant a church that's COVID proof? You know that, or or government shutdown proof? How do we do that?" And I think that's the key is is churches have they've taken on the responsibility of internally all discipleship being oversaw, ran, and heads counted by the church, right? Because what the problem is, Jason, if, if you're doing discipleship with two dudes who live there, I don't know, and, and I'm the pastor of the church, I don't know about that, so I can't count that. So then when I go somewhere and my buddy who's a pastor says, how many people you got in discipleship? My answer is, I don't know, right? Well, man, that's a, that's a we're not called to have a big number on our role in a discipleship class. And so we tell our church all the time, it's part of the name of our church, but we tell them all the time, you are the church. If you are not opening your doors and loving your neighbor and spending time with them and discipling them, then, then what are we doing? Um, and so he's exactly right. We need some men who go, I'm, I'm going to take a couple men, not under your wing, man. I just, if you're one step ahead of, um, I, I was reading in, um, I forget his name. Talked about all the missionary work, um, something obedience, the cost of obedience, I think. Uh, anyways, he was talking about the house church in China. And, and he said, he, he, he said, the way the men there led was they, you know, they, they would share pages of the Bible, not a Bible because they didn't have them, pages of the Bible. And the leader was the one who had the next page. Mm. So we think, hey, you got to be trained. It's got to go through the church. Like he's read Ephesians two, you've only read Ephesians one. So he's like, "Hey, come hang out with me. I'm gonna tell you what I learned." Mm. And that's discipleship, man. Jesus modeled that. Jesus didn't set up classes and pull out of life to teach discipleship and then go back into life. He just walked down the road with the guys following him. And was like, "Hey, you see that over there?" And discipling. Mm. So yeah, man, Josh is exactly right. I'm a hundred percent and. And the other problem is men just don't do it because, you know, I don't want to share my feelings, and I don't, which is a bunch of garbage. Yep. But I'm finding there are so many guys that are hungering for it and want it. And then there's some guys that are, they need it, but they also need to be doing it. And they're scared to do it. Like you're saying, I don't know enough. I'm not seminary trained. I, I'm still working through some issues. And I'm like, man, they, there's so many things like that that are obstacles, and I'm like, they shouldn't be obstacles. <laughs> yeah, man, those are, you know, I, I'm more and more convinced the greatest description of Satan is the master deceiver, right? Not destroyer, not anything. It's deceiver, man. And he, and he says to me, and you're not ready. You've got too much junk. You've got too much baggage. And 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 for for a man, for anybody to say, Okay, I'm going to believe that. One is to allow Satan to deceive him. Two is to not embrace the fullness of the gospel that that you're forgiven and and stand as righteous through Christ Jesus. 
Um, and I just, you can't look at scripture and see where God in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, were lining up superstars to advance the kingdom. I mean, it's just, it's not there. Yeah. He lines up morons and mess ups and dudes with baggage, and ladies who are, you know, tons of baggage and says, hey, if you'll, if you'll just say yes, I'll use you. Mm. And so these guys, you know, who are wanting it, but I don't have enough, um, that type of stuff. I don't have enough training or I've got too much baggage. Man, that's Satan deceiving them. And it works because then they don't do anything. Mm. Tell us about your military career. How did you end up there? And um, just tell us, was that a good experience, bad experience? What were some big lessons from that? Yeah, I, I loved my military career. It was a really tough decision for me to get out. Um, I joke sometimes. I tell some people, don't, don't tell anybody this, but the reason I got in, I was at Union University. I got a Christian studies degree. Uh, had accepted the seminary, you know, that's the next step, Christian school, seminary, student pastor, missions pastor, lead pastor, whatever. Uh, but man, Jason, I just couldn't be around Christians anymore. I was just, I was done with who had the longest quiet time and who, you know, whatever. I just, I just couldn't do it anymore. And so the thought of going to seminary was just like, it just took the life out of me. And so I was engaged to my wife, Gail, at the time. And her associate pastor in California was retired Air Force. And he took me around uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base, which is actually kind of boring Air Force Base. But when you've never been on one, you know, it's kind of cool. And we drove around. He, he just, I just remember him saying, Michael, if you want to be around lots of people, go in the military, you know. So I came back. Uh, I came back to union this is in my last semester of my senior year so this is sometime around april probably i come back i apply for air force officer school because i'm gonna have a college degree so i want to be an officer and the way the air force officer side works is there's three positions in the air force that, that you get wings uh it's a pilot a navigator or an air battle manager all the rest you don't get uh, wings. So I said, well, if I'm going to go in the Air Force, I want wings, right? So I applied, took the, you know, went online, did everything, talked to the recruiter. And the next step in that is to take what they call the Air Force Officers Qualifying Test, which is a pretty challenging test. And they usually study for it for a few months and that kind of stuff. So I met with him on like a Monday or Tuesday. And then uh, he said, yeah, we'll get you scheduled later this summer come take this test i'll send you the material to study that's great um that night no the next night he called me and said hey we had a cancellation tomorrow in memphis um a, kid, a guy backed out so i have a spot if you want uh, i want you to come take the test jason i i still didn't even know what afoqt stood for i hadn't i hadn't cracked one book I was umpiring that night to like midnight, got in my car, drove to Memphis. I got in my hotel about 2.30. Uh, the bus picked me up at 4 a.m., took me to take this test that, you know, I had no business taking at this point in my life. Just thought I did horrible. Take it. Uh, you go through your physical, you know, where it's you and 
20 guys in a room in your underwear, duck walking and, you know, all that stuff. Did all that. It all got submitted. My recruiter says, hey, man, I I really want to put you in for a non-flying position because they usually only take like engineering degrees and stuff. You've got a Christian studies degree. I said, no, if I'm going to be, I want to be flying. She said, okay. Well, the board for that that position, a flying position, a rated position, got canceled. There's only two a year, so one got canceled. So he calls me back. He's like, hey, your test scores aren't amazing. You know, that board got canceled because they don't need as many. Let's really put you in for a low for a non-flying position. I said, no, we're going to stay in. It was 10 months, 10 months after this test. I'm working in a grocery store in Kentucky to save for a ring. Uh, and he calls and says, well, I've been doing this for years. I've never seen anything like it. I guess God heard your prayers, but you got picked up for a rated position. Mm. And so, um, so I went to officer school in Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, which I highly recommend if you're getting ready to get married, go to go in the military the three months leading up to your wedding because then you don't have to make any decisions. You don't have to go to any of the appointments <laughs> on you know yeah. on what chair covers to pick out and stuff. So uh, I was there over the summer, got out, got married. And then got sent to Panama City for my for my training. And so my initial job, I flew on what's called an EAC. It's called J Stars. Um, it has an air to ground radar, so it does surveillance. But then it's it's kind of like air traffic control in the air. Um, so we would control planes on that. Um, but then about halfway through, I volunteered for what's called TACP or JTAC Joint Terminal Air Controller. You're on the ground. Uh, Lazing targets, calling in airstrikes for the army, so it's heavy combat. So um, I did that the last half of my career. It's a all volunteer uh, male squadron. It's a pretty high washout rate. You know, they don't. If you get your math wrong, bad things happen. So they don't. They don't give you many chances. They don't give you any chances to mess up during training uh, to be a JTAC. But man, I just loved it so much. I on that that particular time I had. 50 to 70 guys under me. I just grew so much in leadership. It was a real intense career field. So you had to, you had to learn how to make decisions and lead men. All, everybody was type A in this career field. There's no laid back. You're dropping bombs. You're a, you know, you're a door kicker. Uh, So you had to learn to lead well. And I I really loved it. Had some great squadron commanders, had, had some bad ones. You learn from both. But the decision for me to get out, my commitment was up, and it would have been another eight-year commitment. So I was in eight years, which puts puts you in at sixteen. Where'd they deploy you at? Uh, I was in. I did three flying tours in Iraq, and then one uh, ground tour for a year in Afghanistan. Um, so four total, and then one. It's not a deployment, but it was about eighty days in South Korea doing some training over there but that was the big decision in in our eight years of marriage I was gone just a little over four years of it we didn't have kids or anything yet but we're we're trying to have kids and my deployment cycle was home a year gone a year but even in that year home you know you're gone three or four months training so it's not like you're home for a year so we made the decision to get out uh but it was tough, man. I, I loved what I did. It was stressful. But I see, looking back, 
you know, how God used that in, in what I'm doing now in church planning and just the leadership opportunity. You know, most guys at 24 are going in ministry or in seminary or they're, you know, leading the middle school small group, which that's not bad, but, you know, they just never learned to lead men. Um, no, it's funny you say that because I've had this conversation with a couple of friends and I told my son as well, if I had it to do over again, knowing what I know now, of course we can't. I, I went the, I guess the traditional route for guys that are going to ministry, I go to get my undergrad in biblical studies, youth ministry. And right out of that, I was like, man, I've got to, you know, land a church job. So yeah. I found one that I went into, but looking back, with everything you're saying, I relate to because I'm like, I wish that I would have done two years at Liberty University, which was a good Christian environment. I came home in the summer, was at a Christian camp. And so I was just always around these Christians, this bubble. And and that's a, that has its place and it was good for me. But the last two years, I wish myself and a couple of friends that were pretty strong Christians we would have transferred out to like UVA or somewhere else, like another school and been in that environment, tried to be a light, finished up my degree there. And then I do, I don't know if it's a regret, but again, if I had to do over again, I would have done a few years in the military just because of what it really would have taught me so much with leadership and just being in that environment. And even just, uh, just a lot of basic things I like to know as a man, um, yeah. tactical things. I would have, I would have loved to have gotten the, uh, the training on because now as I try to get certain things, you have to pay big bucks for that. <laughs> yeah, you do. That's right. Yeah. I, man, I totally agree with you. I think there's, you know, I want my kids to go to Christian college. I think public colleges are, are especially more and more today or can be a real, uh, you know, minefield for kids. And so I think there's a seasoning period, a maturity period that happens kind of in that freshman, sophomore year. Um, but I, I'm thankful. I, I think, especially, you know, mostly men that go straight into ministry out of a Christian college or seminary, they don't know what the average guy they're trying to talk to in the seats. They don't know what their nine to five is, man. They don't, they can't relate to it. And it comes across in their teaching and how they talk to them and, and so there's a disconnect there, uh, one. And then two, I mean, this is sad to say, but our, our churches don't generally don't produce leaders. They produce, produce um, ministry managers um, because it's all about, hey, you know, manage this thing that's happening on Sunday or this whatever class. And they don't produce leaders, unfortunately. And so then you have somebody who wants to go church plan. I, I I do leadership assessment for church planners out here in Denver. And it's crazy. The lack of leadership. I mean, it's, it just doesn't exist because mm. they've managed the ministry. And so those skills you learn in a sec, I just think everybody who's going into ministry should spend three to five years in the sec, whether it's military, whether it's at a business, they should spend that time in a secular job. Um, and I agree. And, and if for go. no other reason, if you're thinking of being a pastor, you really need to understand what the average dude is dealing with and going through um, on a day to day basis uh, at that job environment. And 
a lot of guys are just so clueless with some of these guys that are up at 3, 4 a.m. They're making the big commute, what it's like to work that blue-collar job where you're just, you come home and you're literally exhausted, just wasted. And um, you can kind then of... your hide. church is saying, hey, can you come volunteer? Can yes. You come? And get mad that you're not <clears throat> being there. Yeah, they don't understand that. And it gives you... So even out here, I worked part-time at Cabela's when we were playing... I talk to somebody about Jesus almost every day working out here at Cabela's part-time. Well, on a church staff, generally, there's not a lot of lost people. <laughs> generally, you hire Christians on your church staff. So just having that secular experience, the military, whatever, man, I, you get to talk about Jesus to people so much more. Mm-hmm. And it refines how you do it and, it, and it shapes how you do it so that one day when you are preaching or you are teaching and leading a church, um, it, it, it will look different. Yeah. And you and I both know, I'm not saying you, but for some guys in the ministry, it can be, you can make it a very comfortable, padded place to yeah. have a career. And I'm thankful that I've had to do some bivocational things and run a home improvement business. I've worked for home improvement businesses while I've been trying to do my itinerant speaking ministry, because I had to supplement income, but it was one of the best things for me because you are reminded, again, like I said, that there are dudes that are up every day at 4 a.m. They're just getting down the coffee, throwing lunch together. They're on the road, and then they're busting their butt all day, and then it's get home, help the wife with the kids, work on the house, all of that, and then you're trying to figure out, okay, I know Sunday I'm going to church for worship, but where's that place that I serve in church? And it just, man, it helped me just understand where guys are. There are a lot of guys that are like, yeah, I would love to do more um, with the church and serving in the church. But man, this is where I'm at with my job. And my first ministry is at home, which is where I want it to be. And some of these guys are wasted you know, pretty burnt out even with that. They're like, I'm not having the time with my kids that I want. I'm not even leading in any kind of prayer time. And I, I hear it all the time. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And, and those men in your church, if you've never experienced that, they know it. And so they just feel a disconnect, you know, they feel like, Hey, you don't, you don't know what I'm going through. But the second you can say, yeah, man, I remember when and you talk about, you know, supplement your income. You talk about your military experience. You talk about that job you had. Like you, you'll see their eyes light up. That's credibility. Because now, yeah. Cause now they're looking at somebody who they're complaining. I don't think I can do it. And they're looking at somebody who's doing it mm-hmm. or has done it. And now they're going, Oh, okay. Well, I need to listen to you because who you are, what you've done is what I'm sitting here saying. I want, I just don't think I can do it. And they, and they listen to you. Mm. because most men think a pastor of a church, you know, they already think we only work on Sundays for an hour. Yep. And, and, you know, most of the time they just think it's a comfortable, cushy, like, Oh, I wish I could have that job. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's just the reality. I remember, uh, <clears throat> one of my friends in Missouri, when I was living out there, he said at his church, <clears throat> sorry, He said, the pastor I have now is the first pastor that I truly respect, and now I love listening to him. I'm getting so much. And I go, well, what is it about him? What 
what did that for you? Like, what makes him so unique? Because the guy grew up in church his whole life, and he was a blue-collar guy, man, hard worker, that kind of thing. He said, we have two church work days per year on the church property. We're fixing up the building and all this. And he said, this is the first church I've ever been a part of, that the lead pastor is the first one there, and he doesn't tell us all what to do. Somebody else, like a just a lay person, is leading up all the projects, and the pastor is there in the dirt doing everything, cleaning, painting, mulching, whatever, and he's the last one to leave. And he goes, I watched that. I observed that every time we had a work day. And he said, I've never seen a pastor work, to be honest. He said it, they were always the one, like, reading the list to us and sipping coffee for work day. And I was like, wow. Like, I don't want to follow a quote-unquote pastor like that, Mike, yeah. just because of the type of background I was raised in and just the kind of guys I respect. Like, you've got to be a worker and be willing to get in there and just, like, let's get it done. It's 100% true, man. I've, I've even found out here church planning, you know, we're set up in teardown. So we, we bring two trailers, pull all the stuff out, take it all in, set it all up. But, you know, it's work every week. And so, so when we're first starting, I mean, for the first year or so, I'd bring a change of clothes because I, I was sweating, you know, I'm working myself and I'm preaching, you know, and, you know, a lot of pastors go in the green room and look over the message and stuff, man, I'm on the back end of a trailer slinging equipment, mm. sweating with the guys, uh, would go in the bathroom, wipe down with a paper towel, throw a new shirt on. And, and here's what happened, Jason. I was doing that. I was committed to doing that. And then, Men in the church, like Joe, Joe Collin, you mentioned him. He's out here. Some other men start coming to me and saying, hey, Callie, stop. And, uh, you know, we got this. Mm. Thank, thanks for your help. We appreciate your hard work. But we got this. Um, I, I don't know that that – I think had I not been on the trailer with them at the beginning, they would have begrudged me. Yeah. Because they're working and I'm showing up, you know. But because I was working and they said, hey – you're speaking, you're preaching. We want you to go focus on that. And so now I, I get there a little bit later. I still help. Uh, I, I put my energy in to tear down because the message is over and everything, you know, so I'm, I'm on the trailer working with them. But you you earn that respect as a pastor. I think you can. You should earn that respect from being a hard worker when there's work to be done. And let the people around you say, hey, we want you to take a step back here and let us handle this, not just do it on your own, you know, not just step back on your own and say, Hey, all of you go do this. Yeah, I agree. I've got another good friend. He's like a mentor church planner as well. He's in um, Virginia and dude, he is so intentional about uh, his, his churches. I would say 99% blue collar people, farmers, all of that. But he, he takes his time that he needs to for the office. There's definitely time to read, study, prepare, phone calls, that kind of thing. But when he doesn't need to be in the office, he's very intentional. I could call him any time of the week, and I'm always like, where are you? What are you doing? And he's like, man, I'm traveling out to Old Red's farm. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I, it, it could, literally, Mike, it could be like he's got the cattle that he's got to you know, take them in, process, do this. He's bailing this. and. I'm just going to go help him for a few hours, just a guy in my church. 
And because he's done that, man, he has earned so much credibility and they love him. They respect him. Um, Another thing like that bothers me sometimes with pastors too, is I love teaching and preaching and it's important and guys should always be working to refine that, get better at it, you know, bring a good message on Sunday, dude, it's paramount. It's so important. But at the same time, I've gotten so bothered with dudes that bring that message and people are like, oh, I love it, man. And I love coming to hear this guy. I drive two hours to hear this guy. But when it's time for the, the message to be over and people are interacting, I've often seen pastors kind of, I guess it's the green room, go to the green room. Like where, where are they? Where did they go? And I don't see some of them like interacting with the people, like just be out there, be social, mingle, that kind of thing. What are your thoughts on that? Have you seen that kind of thing too? Yeah, absolutely, man. And I don't know that there's a right or wrong necessarily. You know, I get some of these guys and some of these big churches, you know, maybe, maybe it's just too overwhelming to go out and, and be in a lobby and meet, you know, meet people. I'm not in that situation. Our church is 115 people. Um, but those are the people that God's called me a shepherd. I don't think that changes based on the number. If they're in your church, you're supposed to be shepherding them. And so, you know, for me, I go out there and shake hands and say hi and pray with people and talk with people and spend time with people. Yeah. Um, I think it's so important, man. Like I remember the, um, the two most influential guys that influenced me. Well, two of the most there was, there was more, but one was Tim Duggins. He's the guy I'm talking about in Virginia that church planted as pastor and now, but he was my youth pastor. And he was great at delivering a message, but he was really good at just, we had a huge church, huge youth ministry, but before and after, always interacting with people, being social, whatever. And then I did a mentorship for a while with uh, under uh, Clayton King. And Clayton was really big like we would be at camps with thousands of students or we would be at some of these big churches. Um, and I'd just be tagging along with him at new spring or wherever he was really, he's good in the pulpit, but when he's preaching, but he was really good about just mingling with people where I'm more, I'll, I'll do that. Cause I know I should, but then I'm like, man, I need to withdraw for a while and get ready for the, the next uh, service time or something like that. Yeah. But I just think it's so important, man. Sometimes I've been to certain churches where I'm just like, man, the only time I see the pastor is when it's like it's stage time. And then I don't see him before the service and between the service, after the service. And I think just that time of interacting, even if it's like just the old school Baptist churches that you and I grew up in, the pastor being at the door when you're leaving, shaking hands. Hey, thanks for coming. You know, how's your aunt doing? That kind of thing. Like that personal touch. I think it's good for the people to see, you know, if they, uh, the only time they see the pastor is on the stage and you begin to kind of create a church around a personality, which is real dangerous. We've seen that. I mean, we've seen that a lot in the news and, you know, uh, personality driven churches. Now, whoever, it's impossible to have a church that doesn't have a bend towards the lead pastor's personality. It's impossible to be speaking, whatever. 30 to 50 times a year. That's going to happen to some degree, but I think it's important as a pastor to negate it as much as you can. And so, 
you know, whether that's going out and getting a cup of coffee out in the lobby after the service and just walking, you know, to stand by the door, you know, hey, this is the pastor's, and you just walk around, and yeah, hang out with some people, go in the nursery and hold a baby so the volunteer can leave early, you that's know, because they've been in there with screaming babies for an hour. Uh, I you know who I just, heard did that a lot was uh, I read the biography of A.W. Tozer and yeah. they said he wasn't the best people person, but that dude always was going in the nursery with the babies. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. they were like, where is he? We know where he's at. So it was funny to me. Well, you know, it's, it's, um, people are draining to me. I'm not naturally like, Hey, want to be the center of the, which people find strange, but it's true. I need to withdraw. I need to have some me time. I get that. But I also know during that, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes after the service, before the service, um, just going around talking to people, loving them and hugging them. The message, you know, by that point, one, if your message ain't ready, then you can, you need the Holy Spirit anyways, because you're not getting it ready in the last 30 minutes. <laughs> um, I was, th- this, this story always reminds, this keeps me humble. I, I spoke, uh, I was, I was probably in college. And I spoke at that church back in Kentucky. And after the service, it was old school where you stand up, you know, you line up by the door and they all come out. And I'm standing, I'm standing next to the senior pastor. And this lady, I don't know, she's probably in her forties. She comes out, she shakes my hand. It's me. And then the senior pastor shakes my hand. Hey, Michael, good to see you today. And she shakes his hand. Now I've just preached for 40 minutes on stage. There's no other preachers. It's me. Music and me, invitation, I leave the stage. Shakes my hand, good to see you. Shakes his hand, Pastor Jeff, great word today. Really right. got a lot out of that. <laughs> so and walked out the, and I looked at him and I was like, man, either I'm a horrible communicator or <laughs> or there's too much weight sometimes on the, on the you know, wow. preaching. And so I always remember remember that that, you know, maybe maybe we all should evaluate the uh importance of our 30 minutes in the pulpit a little less yeah on a pedestal than we we typically do yeah the church that i was in high school that uh i really became a believer in uh thought i was a believer but really god got a hold of me in high school but it was one of the largest southern baptist churches in america at the time and our pastor uh dr herb fitzpatrick he used to serve on the board at liberty and um he was a peculiar guy, man, because he was not the best preacher. Um, some would say kind of boring, but because he was so good with people and um, loving them, he never forgot a name. He was just one of those guys. If he met Mike Talley, who visited for a service with his family, and you said, Hey, pastor, pray for my mom. She's in the hospital with cancer. And you came back six months later. He's going to go, Mike, how's your mom? I've been praying for her. Like, it was crazy. But I think I asked him one time, no, a friend of mine asked him, how in the world did you, Pastor Fitz, who's not that great of a speaker, preacher, I can't believe he said this, but he said, um, (laughs) how did you grow one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in America? And he said, I didn't do it in the pulpit. You guys know I'm not the best speaker. He said, I did it in living rooms. I did it in coffee shops. I did it beside beds in hospitals. He said, I did it on a golf course with guys. I did it out in that, you know, the foyer talking with people. 
And he goes, I know my, I know my strengths and my weaknesses. And he goes, but I know people. I love them. And he was faithful on that old school Baptist Thursday night vis- visitation. He made a point. I'm going to be in every one of my church people's home at some point. And he, I remember him visiting us. I remember him recruiting me to come to the Christian high school there. He's the reason I went there and the reason I ended up getting saved in a chapel service at that Christian high school. And, uh, that's just pretty cool, and I'm, I've always, like, when I first started with my itinerant ministry, Mike, I wanted to be one of the best big-name youth and men speakers in the country. I wanted to be sought after. I wanted everybody dropping my name, that kind of thing, and I got sick of that. I got disgusted with that and what I was pursuing um, and just decided, like, that's that's not what we're called to be, man. Like, the the time on the stage is important. I, I want to be a good speaker, but more importantly, man, like <clears throat> I'm not trying to grow me, my brand. I'm trying to grow a kingdom. And there's also something about the dude off the stage. I, I know we're camping out here for a while, but I think that there's going to be a lot of guys that tune into this that are either pastors, church planners, or thinking about doing that. And I just can't say enough about First and foremost, being a people person, know your people, know your congregation, know the guys, what they're going through, get out there. Some people may be like, man, it's a waste of time for me to be up in a living room. It's a waste of time for me to go have that cup of coffee. You know, I could be doing this. And I'm like, it's not a waste of time, man. It's not a waste of time. It's not, man. And and I feel you and I understand, you know, you look around, you see pastors and you're like, man, I want to, I want a church that size. And you know, speaking ministry that size. And I, and I get that that's human nature. And those sizes are not wrong. God, God has put those men in that place or use them sometimes maybe in spite of them, he uses them. Right. Um, but a lot but of people I, are I mean, getting tired of the celebrity pastor, man. I, I don't disagree. Uh, I don't disagree with that at all. I think they are, but that, sh- that should be indifferent to me and what I'm doing. I, I, my success is these two things and these two things only obedience and faithfulness. And that's like it. it. Obedience and faithfulness. Now that's not an excuse to be lazy. Right? That's not an excuse to not develop your preaching, develop your speaking, develop yourself as a leader. It's not an excuse to go. It, it's fine that there's 10 people in my church uh, and, and you're just lazy about things, right? God, God's not going to bless it. You need to work hard at what he's called you to do, but your measurement is, am I being faithful and am I being obedient? Um, not how many people do I have or, you know, how many times am I speaking a year? God does not love the pastor who pastors 10,000 more than he loves the pastor who pastors 50. It doesn't work that way. I love it um, because you know that I dealt with that whole thing. I'd go to a conference and someone would say, um, how many are at your church? How many are you running in your youth ministry? How many are part of your discipleship class? And then when I became like doing evangelism, I tenured speaking. How many gigs are you getting a year? What size camp is that? And it was just, it was wearing on me, man. And it was yeah. messing me up inside. And I finally had to like step back from it. And I started working more of the trades, my, my home improvement business. And I did that 
just because I, I was I was getting caught up in it and I was feeling like I'm not good enough. And I quit following certain guys on Twitter. I quit following certain pastors, ministries, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. Cause either I think I'm better or I think I'm yeah. not as good, that kind of thing. And to go back to just the basics of what you said, just be faithful, Jason. Just be obedient. Yeah. And if it is the camp that says, we only got 30 kids coming, it's so freaking what? Like, sure. let's go. Let's do this. Sure. And if it's just a couple guys a week that I get to do some Zoom meetings and do some coaching in their life and helping them through different addictions and things like that, I'm finally at a place where I'm like, I love this. I'm thankful for this because I feel like I've I've gotten out of that that rat race, whatever. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's easy to get in, man. It's easy to stay in. Um but you know, at the end of the day, I just go back to I'm not gonna stand before my creator with the attendance of my church. Mm where he, where he counts it out, you know, it's not going to happen. I, I'm going to stand before him and he's, he's going to judge me on my obedience and my faithfulness. Mm. And that's it, uh, wherever he's placed me. And so these guys who, and listen, I want our church to grow. We take attendance at our church on a Sunday morning. You know, we, yeah. we want it to grow. We want more, but there's a, I know a pastor who told a friend of mine who's planting a church. Uh, he, he said, I'm going to baptize more people this year than you will your entire life. Mm. Come on, man. Do you think that with God, like it's good that you're baptizing a lot of people. Do you think God is honored in that attitude? Mm -mm. No, man, that great. No, he's not. Um, And so, uh, you know, I just can't, uh, I, I can't worry about that. That's out of my control. That's out of, out of my realm of responsibility. I need to be faithful and obedient, not be lazy. Pastors use that as an excuse to be lazy. Hey, I'm just, God just called me here and I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing. Well, maybe what you've been doing is horrible and you should uh, grow yourself as a leader and as a pastor, you know, like, don't be lazy, work hard. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, faithful and obedient is, is what we're called to uh, called to be. Yeah, man. And I've got such a respect for, uh, church planners, the ones that I know, now maybe there's some outlier that is not this, but they had a background already, not just with ministry, but they understood hard work, sacrifice. We got to do whatever it takes right now. We're not saying it's always going to be like this, but right now to get this thing off the ground, they understand the hustle that it involves. And like you're saying, here comes the trailer, um, unload, load it back up and we're going to do it every single week. And it's just hard, man. It's hard work. You don't have the funding that some of the larger, more established churches are. Uh, you're trying to do the best with what you have. You don't have this huge resource of people to pull from and be like, okay, who's running the, the, the media here and who's making sure the foyer looks really cool. Like the cafe atmosphere we want, you know, it's, it's overwhelming, bro. Yeah, man. Church planning is a, you know, it's a whole nother world. I joke sometimes, uh, you know, the mil- the military did help me as far as leadership and stuff. And I say about the only difference in the hard work and stressfulness is that nobody's trying to actually shoot me while I'm <laughs> playing a church, you know, not yet anyway. Yeah. Um, 
but it's tough, man. The, the funding piece, you know, we're an expensive in an expensive city out here, Denver metro areas, one of the most expensive places in the country. Land's crazy. Um, it's an unchurched, you know, it's it's 92, 88 to 92% just spiritually disconnected, you know, don't care. Mm. It's maybe two to four percent Protestant. Um, you know, in the South and in many churches in the South, I'm not knocking that, but in the South, I, I rarely I don't know that I ever met somebody who hadn't been to church. Mm-hmm. You know, they they'd gone on Christmas or Easter, you know, maybe 10 years ago, but they've been. But I invited one of my neighbors here and said, Hey man, love for you to go to church. And he, he said, What do you do there? Mm. I said, well, it's church. I mean, what do you mean? He's like, Well, I've never been. I said, You've never been to church? Not like not once. And he's like, No. I mean, my parents never, they didn't go. I've never been. Mm. He's a 40 year old man, four kids. I've never walked, never stepped foot in church, you know? Wow. And so it's a lot of work. Um, then you talk. I love that, that you're you, having that conversation though with a neighbor. You've learned something incredible about him and also about the people you're trying to reach out there. And then there's this invitation uh, to come. Like I, I love that. I love that you're in an area that isn't the quote unquote Bible belt. I know the Bible belt still has a lot of lost people. Problem with the Bible belt is you got a lot of people that don't think that they're saved, but they're, they're not, but go ahead, man. No, tell us some more about church planning out there, man. Yeah. So our, our church is named uh, church 8025, uh, which everybody says, you know, Hey, why is that? So I'm going to, explain it to you the way I would somebody who asks mm-hmm. uh, Jason what's what's the number on the front of your house uh 1946 1946 so 8025 is the number over my garage where we met the first time around my kitchen table praying for church and we'd have a name that type of stuff and so we tell people like you are the church Sunday is a place we gather not to you know, you see those signs, hey, you're being sent to the mission field. Like, hey, this was the rally. We prepared you to send you now mm. into the mission field when you leave a church. But I kind of think it's backwards, man. I think Sunday is a place that at least it should be 50-50 where you gather to celebrate the followers of Jesus being the church Monday through Saturday in their homes, you know? Like, and stop. If you come to church every single Sunday and you can't tell me your neighbor's name, we're doing this wrong. Mm. You know, like they live next door to you. Where are they going to go when they die? Like that, that's, have them over. Have dinner with them. Oh, well, you know, we're not the same kind of people. We have, who cares? Like that's the, per, that's the person Jesus went in their house. Mm. And so Church 8025 is a reminder to everybody. You got a number on the front of your house. Don't come in here and praise Jesus and pray that people get saved and go home and lock your front door and shut your garage as soon as you get home. God ain't going to answer that prayer, mm. right? Like he put you in that neighborhood so you could get to know the person across the street from you and love them and help them and share Jesus with them. And so that's our, that's really our focus is for people to be the church. We tell them all the time, you are the church. And so we started, um, we started in. Well, right there. You just up. punched me in the face. <laughs> Because I just moved in a a neighborhood here. We just built a house, and we're in a very affluent area, very affluent neighborhood, Um, and I need to do better. I need to get out there and get to know them. And one of my hesitations with a couple of them is the whole, 
they I know that they got money. There's an attitude with them. I've, I've already picked up. They complain about stuff already that I'm not doing right with the HOA thing, whatever. And for you, with what you just said, to help me go, you know what? But they're still lost. I'm here for a reason. They act that way for a freaking reason. <laughs> and I got to go be Jesus. I needed to hear you that, got, man. You got to, man. And so I, I mowed one of my neighbor's yard across the way. <laughs> Motor front yard, push mode. It. it was just out of control. It probably took me two hours. Mower broke down. You know, you know that anytime you try to do something nice, everything goes wrong. Goes wrong. That night, I got an email from her and said, basically, never step foot on my property again. How dare you? Like just <laughs> destroying me. <laughs> well, I mean, I still see she's right across the road from me, you know, and I, I could just be mad and mean. I still say hi. Hey, good morning. Hope you're having a good day, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's not normal. It's not easy. We judge people, but I just think if those people don't know us, when they have, no, no matter how affluent they are, when they have that moment of crisis in their life and they go, who do I turn to? I need help. Well, if they don't know me, then I, they're not going to come to me and I can't point them on to Jesus. That's right. You know? And so like the guy that I've been telling invited to church and stuff. He hadn't gotten saved. His family hadn't gotten saved, but we have them over. They come to dinner. We love on their kids. And I know, I know when change or tragedy happens in his life, I know he's going to pick the phone up and call me. Yeah. And what, what has happened to the dudes that take that old school missionary mindset, like a Hudson Taylor or a Donnerum Judson or whatever, all these guys I remember reading about that. It's like, I'm here. I'm in Thornton. I'm not going anywhere. If it's 15 years down the road and this guy finally goes, I know one guy that loves me, cares about me, cares about my family, and he cuts it straight, and I need some help. His name's Mike Talley. You know, like, you got to be in it, especially in an area like you're at, man. Like, long haul, dude. Yeah, you do. You got to just let them know you're there and that you don't want anything from them. Mm. You want something for them. Um, it's not a bait and switch. I mean, he knows I pastor a church. He knows I want him to love Jesus, but he doesn't. And they don't ever, they've come to church maybe one time on, you know, an Easter Sunday. Um, but his kid is on my kid's baseball team. We hang out with them and you just gotta, you gotta work it into your, your circle of life, man. You're going to have, you're going to eat dinner on a Friday night anyways. Have them over to eat dinner with you. And it's like, is this stuff that that you're constantly throwing out to your congregation out there? All the time. We have a huge banner in the back of our church that we set up and tear down. And all my, all the volunteers hate me because, (laughs) because we have it because it's huge. It takes a lot of time to set up and tear down, but it says you are the church. And I tell people this all the time. Um, Our goal is not for you to attend church, which sounds counterproductive when you're trying to plant a church. Mm. But our goal is not for people to attend church, right? You can be in a you can be a church attender and not a follower of Jesus. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and not attend church, because he he commands us to have community and walking together. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you will love your neighbor. You will reach out to those people. If you're a church attender, you may or may not, and you probably won't. And so, we push it all the time. My prayer, and this listen, this sounds crazy too. But as a church planner, my one of my prayers 
is that more people will get saved outside the walls of our church than inside. Hmm. Because then we're being the church, you know, then, then COVID can come along. Then the government can come along, whatever can shut your Sunday gathering down and the gospel's still going forward because people know how to love and be the church. So what I wrote down just now is our goal is not for you to attend church. Our goal is for you to be the church. That's right. All right. Making sure I got that. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Because so many people just check that box, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. I attended church this week. Yep. And again, that's consumer mindset too, man. Yeah. My favorite question is, that's great, man. Uh, What's going on in your neighbor's life? I don't know. Well, then you just attended church. You're not being the church. That's like the it. closest person to you. You share a front yard. You share a backyard. Like that's the easiest person for you to get to know. Mm. And if, if we're not doing that, then you know, then then we then it's foolish of us and arrogant of us to then sit back and pray that God would do something in people's lives around us. I like it. What do you say to uh, the Christian guy who feels bored or annoyed with "quote unquote" church or Christianity in general? Oh uh, man, I, I would say they don't. I would say they don't know what it is to follow Jesus, mm. right? Because mo- mo- most of the guys who would say that is like, oh, that's you know, that's soft, that's you know, that's not for me. I want to be in the woods. I want to be hunting, you know, whatever. It's not manly enough. But man, where do you read in scripture that what Jesus calls a follower of him to be is anything less than dangerous and 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 exciting and tough and man? Like, hey, well, it goes back cross. to what you just said. I'm thinking. I don't mean to cut you off, but no, you're good. You were just pushing people to say, "Our goal is not for you to be a church attender." Sure. So I see guys that are like, "I'm bored," and I'm annoyed with this because all it ends up coming down to is put me in a nice theater style chair, lights, smoke machine, cameras, and they become consumers unless they can rise to the level of being one of the players on the stage. Right. And yet there's something that's missing. Like what you're trying to help your people understand is be the church, get in the game, get active, put a hand to the plow. Like, let's go. I think, I think one of the areas we miss this and it's especially with men is, is we, we say attend church and serve, right. You hear that a lot, serve in the church. And, And then, we basically say, hey, that's, that's it. And so the guy who runs a business, the guy who works in the, you know, works with his hands, whatever, in his mind, he's thinking, okay, so you're telling me I, I got to sit here for 40 minutes on a Sunday and stand at the door and hand out a bulletin. Mm. That's it? Well, Jason, I wouldn't sign up for that, man. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, like, in my head, I'm thinking a table can do what you're doing. You could just set the bulletins on it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. people can make their own call. Mm-hmm. And so we tell our people all the time, we need your help in the church, but please do not think 
that helping in the church, set up, tear down, all those things. It's important. We need to do it for so that we can have Sunday gathering. But please do not think that is you serving the kingdom of God in its entirety. That is baby step 101. You know, I'm, I'm much more interested in you serving outside of this church mm-hmm. in your community than pouring the coffee on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think we've set the bar. So there's a great book by JT English uh, called Deep Discipleship. I think I think we've set the bar. What so is it low. again? JT English. Yep. Uh, Deep Discipleship. Okay, go ahead. We've set the bar so low on following Jesus that people are like, man, I, I can take it or leave it. That didn't change my life at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it's not changing their life. There comes a point where you go, I don't want to do this anymore. I'd rather go hike. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go fishing. I'd rather go home. I have more fun, you know? And so. I, I it's think the consumerism mis- that's killing some guys that if all of this is, is sit here and consume, just be yeah. part of the 45 minute thing. Like the way I'm wired, I'm like, I'm out. I don't want to just yeah. be a consumer now there's times i'm like man i need my tank filled and i'm in tears yeah. after hearing that worship music and that message you know and sometimes even like wow that 10 minute video they showed at the highlights of the mission trip like i'm moved it has its place but sure help me engage is what i'm looking for as a man and that's why I like all of your answers. I'm just trying to understand some of these guys that tell me, man, I'm just so bored or I'm annoyed with church and I'm annoyed with Christianity because I feel like that. And I'm like, no, I, I believe that you're bored and annoyed with the brand of church or Christianity that yes, you've sir. been handed or put before you, whatever that is. I, I agree, man. Uh, I was going to say this a minute ago, but, you know, the call of Jesus is not it's not be comfortable and sit in a nice room for 40 minutes a week, right? The call of Jesus is, I just talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Unless you're willing to get rid of all your possessions, unless you're willing to hate your mother and father, uh, your brother and sister, your son and daughter, your own life, unless you're willing to carry your cross and come after me and die. What's boring about that, man? That's, that's crazy. The reason men are bored it's because they think that has to happen in 40 minutes from 10 a.m. to 10.45 on Sunday morning. And it doesn't. Mm. You know how I know it doesn't? It's because Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to 10.45 didn't exist when Jesus made that statement. Mm. But right? Sunday morning church didn't exist. Mm. Jesus said, hey, I'm calling you to something greater. It's going to cost you. you got to be willing to sacrifice. Well, when you start doing that, when you start working your job, as a not a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a devoted follower of Jesus, you start working your job, you start living in your neighborhood, you start coaching that your kids' team with that mindset. Well, man, like you can't help but be living on mission. Mm-hmm. Like Sunday morning is the easiest thing. Like you got your radar you know, up because you're looking where's the opportunity, yeah. where can I build the kingdom? And a lot of people don't have any radar up, they don't have it at all. At all, and and that's the that's the fault of pastors and churches for saying, "Hey, all all maturity and growth and discipleship happens in our scheduled box, mm. right?" And and I really think, guys, especially if they're followers of Jesus, 
there's Jason, there's, if you came to my church, there's only so much I could teach. Mm. There comes a point where it's like, oh, I've heard Tally talk about this before. And that's not a bad thing. That's just reality, you know? And so what's your next step? The reason you would probably get bored in that context, or people, men get especially get bored in church, is because they're not going out and being the church. Mm. Because you never run out of opportunities to have a conversation with another man about his marriage, about his family, about his work, about Jesus, mm. and begin pointing him. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to repent of all his sins and get saved right there. Mm-hmm. But you never run out of those opportunities. And, and I think that's what Jesus is saying when he says, take up your cross and follow me. Like you got to be going somewhere. And so you're not getting to know your neighbors. You're not getting to know the people you work with, the people at your gym, not just to know them, but to have spiritual conversations at some point when they present themselves at the right time. Then I think you are going to get stagnant and you are going to get frustrated and you know, I'm tired of this. Mm-hmm. Christianity, but but I would say it's because you're not following Jesus the way Jesus has called you to follow him. Mm. You know? That's good stuff. Well, Mike, it's been a good conversation. It's been interesting for me, enlightening. It's been challenging, uh, convicting some of it, especially about my neighbors that freaking annoy me right now. And I, <laughs> and I judge them because I'm yeah. Living in a yuppie neighborhood, and I'm I'm not a yuppie. wasn't raised by that, but you know what? <clears throat> got to do what I got to do. So I appreciate you right. coming on here, man. And how can guys uh, connect with you, man? Whether it's through email, website, social media, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. All of my personal social media is at mtally twenty three. At um, mtally, that is T A L L E Y twenty three. 23. Yep. That's all my personal. My, my email is Michael at church, dot 25.com. Michael at church, 8025.com. Yep. That's right. And then you can see about our church and what's going on there. Uh, we're trying to buy some land up here right now. It's crazy. Um, but you can see all that stuff information at church, 8025.com. Cool, man. I'm going to put all of that in the show notes, guys, for Mike Talley and want to encourage you to check out what's going on at church8025.com. They are in the midst of uh, just a big kind of goal uh, that they have to get a church, a piece of property for their church to build an actual building that their church can use to move away from the setup and tear down every Sunday in a hotel space where they're at. So guys, check it out. And I know for a fact that Mike himself and the other guys that are serving there as pastors and leaders, um, they're raising a lot of their own support. So if there's anything you can do or want to do to help out church, 8025.com. Anything else, Mike, that I leave anything out? No, you didn't, man. I just want to say I appreciate it. I appreciate you uh, being faithful and obedient, plugging away in this podcast, man, and your own ministry. Uh, you know, I, I know it speaks to a lot of men. Uh, I hear, I hear it, and so keep it up, man. Keep uh, keep being faithful. God's using you. Um, sometimes, you know, we we see the overnight success, but we don't know that the overnight success took thirty years. Yeah. So uh, keep plugging away, man. God's using you. 
No, I appreciate it, man. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm hoping this fall, September-ish, to come out to Colorado, see what's going on at Church 8025, and get back up into Rocky Mountain National Park for a while and have a little break up there. You're welcome anytime, man. Let's do it. I'll take you fly fishing. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm addicted. So uh, come on out. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm down. Hey, thanks, brother. Love you, man. All right. Well, I thought that was a good interview with Mike Talley, church planner, pastor, church 8025, Thornton, Colorado. Man, a couple things that I wanted to reiterate that I got from that conversation that really helped me. I think it'll help you too. That Mike said, uh, here's the first one. Our churches generally don't produce leaders. They produce ministry managers. Unfortunately, that is so true. We need to be producing leaders, not ministry managers. And there's a big difference. He also said, we both kind of agreed, those preparing for pastoral ministry need to first spend a substantial amount of time working a secular job, some sort of secular job, or even be in the military for a while because it'll help them better understand how to serve and lead the men in their church or their future church and also to serve and reach the lost men in their community. It would be so beneficial for you guys that are Preparing to be pastors, youth pastors, missionaries, whatever. Spend some time working a secular job or in the military. Do you well. And then he said, pastors should earn the respect of the men in their church by being a hard worker. Dude, I love this. You should be at least one of the hardest working men in your church. You don't want guys in your church just saying, yeah, he's a good speaker. He's a good teacher. That's great. Okay. It should be more than that. He cares about us. He loves the Lord. No, he loves the Lord. You want to hear them also say, that dude's a hard worker. He gets after it. You know, if there's a church work day, you ought to be the first one to show up, last one to leave. You ought to have the the sweatiest, dirtiest, smelliest T-shirt by the end of the day. You know what I mean? Let them see that. If you find out a couple guys in the church are building a shed or something, then go get in there. Do it, man. If you take your church on a mission trip to Guatemala, they're building like some kind of house or orphanage building or something. Don't just be the supervisor. Don't just be like teaching the Bible lesson in the morning. Get in there, mix the concrete, lay the bricks, frame it up, carry lump. Do you get my point? Be a hard worker, and you'd be surprised how many men, certain men that you want, you're going to begin to attract, and that are going to tune in more to when you preach than they ever have before. Um, another thing he said that I really liked is our goal is not for you to attend church. Our goal is for you to be the church. The call of Jesus is not come sit in a comfortable church service. That's so true. That's why so many guys are, I believe, bored with church or Christianity because it really comes down to just come attend and sit and watch what happens up here on the stage. Listen, watch the performers. No, no, they're worship leaders. (laughs) 
Watch them. Watch what they do. Watch how they worship. Watch this video I'm going to show you. That all has its place. But men need to be part of something, a mission, a battle. Bring them in. Don't just be like, well, I need some guys to pass out bulletins. I need some guys to, you know, direct traffic in the parking lot. Dude, they need more than that. Are you going to lose them? Losing me. He says he measures my success. He measures his success by two things, obedience and faithfulness. Obedience and faithfulness. Not how many people are coming, how many people got saved, how many people are baptized, how many are in small group, blah, blah, blah. How many letters do you have behind your name? Did you get your PhD yet, Pastor? Two things, obedience, faithfulness. And then he said, uh, this was really good too. You got to let them know, talking about non-believers, you got to let them know that you don't want anything from them, but you want something for them. He said, my prayer is that more people get saved outside the walls of our church than within it, because then we're being the church. My favorite question for my church people is, what's going on in your neighbor's life? Because if they don't know that, then they're not being the church. They just attend church. They're not being the church. And if we don't even know our neighbors, then he says it's foolish for us to sit back and pray for God to do something in those people's lives. That was a roundhouse kick to my freaking nose. Man, oh, don't do it again, man. Stop. Just ow. Ow, Mike, ow. It was good, man. Then he recommended uh, reading the book, Deep Discipleship, How the Church Makes Whole Disciples of Jesus by J.T. English. So I ordered that on Amazon today for myself, not for you. Get your own. And that's it. Hey, guys, if you never left a rating and review for the Grizz Podcast, you're a selfish punk. Go leave a rating and review for the Grizz Podcast. Take it like one minute. Pull your car, your truck over right now. Put it in park leave a rating and review. And then if this episode would benefit a friend, maybe a pastor friend or somebody training to be a pastor or youth pastor, dude, send them a link, share it. Don't be a selfish punk. Come on. Nah, that's what you got to do, man. Anyway, if you want to get to know more about me, contact me, learn more about the ministry. If you're new, whatever, go to narrowtrail.com, narrowtrail.com. It's all there, man. It's all there. All right. I'm out. You've been listening to the Grizz Podcast, an outreach of Narrow Trail Ministries Incorporated. If this podcast has been helping to guide, encourage, and equip you to live the manly life that God's calling you to live, then please consider partnering with us by giving a tax-exempt donation to our nonprofit ministry. Your financial gift will help us continue to improve and expand our impact around the world. You can make your secure online donation at thegrizzpodcast.com. Now, it's time to take what you've learned and chew on it. And then, you need to step up, man up, and go live it out. Grizzin', you know what I'm saying. Thank you.